My name is Catherine Delange and I'm a science journalist. I live in London. I'm the editor of New Scientist magazine. And um, my latest book is called Brain Power, Everything You Need to Know for a Healthy, Happy Brain. And it's all about useful advice, or hopefully useful advice, that anyone can um, use to try and improve their brain health and improve things like their mood, their memory, their cognition, um, and also to try and protect them from uh, dementia as they get older. Catherine, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I, I must admit, before I started reading your book, uh, Brain Power, I, th I thought this was going to be a book about, you know, the power of the brain. Uh, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's, it's about how keeping uh, our brains healthy uh, is actually one of the keys to living long, prosperous, fulfilling lives. I'm curious, was there anything that prompted you specifically to write this book? So I'll be completely honest, this book came about when the publisher asked me to write it. I'd written something for them before and they, they approached me with this. But I think it was a long time in coming because I'm a science journalist. Um, but when I grew up, the kind of conversations that people had about mental health, I mean, we didn't really talk about it very much. Um, there was quite a lot of stigma. Certainly people didn't think about looking after their brain health. You maybe did exercise for your heart or to lose weight. You may be kind of um, a healthy diet for similar reasons, but no one talked about, about the brain. And I considered myself to be quite lucky because I had two amazing grandmothers. Um, one of them was French, one of them was English. They were very different, but they both lived um, really, really long lives. They both lived well into their 90s. They both um, stayed pretty lucid until the end of their lives. They lived pretty independently. Um, and so I kind of just thought like, I've, you know, I've, I've got it sorted. I've got these genes that they must have that, you know, have caused them to live these long, um, lucid lives. And I just need to sit back and just enjoy the ride. Um, and then I started working as a science journalist and I was covering um, a lot about um, the body and the, you know, the body mind connection, um, a lot about mental health, about neuroscience. And I started to realize that that was really wishful thinking. Um, yes, genes are involved, but um, they're just a small part of it. And I, you know, my grandmothers were very different. Um, one of them was like French. She loved drinking lots of wine. Um, she smoked for most of her life. But other than that, she, um, you know, she was kind of, she lived by herself. She didn't have a very big family. Um, and the other one was like really social. She had a huge family. She um, uh, was married for over 50 years. And I thought they were very different. Um, but while I was working as a journalist and in writing this book, I've come to realize that they were very similar. Um, they liked to travel. They had lots of friends. Uh, they were social. Um, they enjoyed like good food. And these are all things that we now know are really important for the brain. And so I've kind of, through my career, I've kind of come to realize that, um, the decisions that we make every day and the kind of things that my grandmas were doing in their lives, these are the things that affect how long we live and whether our brains stay healthy as we get older. You can't just sit back and enjoy the ride. Um, 
And, and actually, when I was researching the book, there was this statistic that I came across, which is that 40% of dementia can be avoided by things that we do in our everyday life, things like diet and exercise. And that really stuck with me. So, so that, that's a long answer, but, I, but it was a long time in coming. And then when the publisher asked me to write the book, um, that was just kind of as the pandemic was playing out and I took on this project and it, you know, it really made me realize in the context of the pandemic and everything that was going on, how much our habits can influence our mental health and our, and our mental well-being. Interesting. You mentioned that 40% of dementia can be avoided by the things that we do every day. Uh, I'm curious, was there anything else maybe that surprised you while researching the book? Uh, yeah, I mean, so many things. I kind of, when I went into it, I thought, yeah, this book, it, it's like perfect for me because I know about all this stuff. Um, but in the end, there was so much that surprised me. I mean, I think the connection between our brain and our gut and our diet um, I knew about it. I knew obviously that what we eat is important for kind of mental well-being. I mean, you think about like comfort, the, the concept of comfort food, right? We all have stuff that we like to eat that just makes us feel good. So it's, that's not a mystery, but the the how deep that connection goes for me was really surprising. So um, for instance, um, I don't know if you know uh, how much you know about the microbiome. Um, mm -hmm. but we have trillions of bacteria living in our, in our gut. And these are constantly in conversation with our brain and influencing our brain. And I think some of the most surprising stuff for me came from, uh, well, I don't know what time this show is going to go out. Um, hopefully not kind of just before lunch, but, um, or whatever time people are listening to it, but some of the really compelling research comes from fecal transplants. It's kind of gross, but um, it's this idea that you can take um, the microbiome, so the gut bacteria, in um, either through like a literally like an enema or a kind of, they call it like a poop pill, um, but it's like a distilled kind of fecal microbiome pill that you take. Um, and the idea is that you can take the microbiome from one individual and put it into another individual um, and see what happens. Um, and I find it really amazing. I mean, these kind of fecal transplants have been done between um, uh, animals and even in, in humans. So if you take um, the microbiome from somebody who has depression and put it into um, a mouse that's been bred not to have a, a microbiome, then the mice start to show symptoms that look like depression. Um, so it's like you've transferred the depression from a person into this mouse just through, the, through their microbiome. Um, and so scientists started to think, well, what if we could transfer it the other way? What if you could take a healthy microbiome uh, from somebody who, um, say, doesn't have depression and put it into somebody who does have depression? Would that work? And you know, it's early days, but some studies have been done and yeah, people's symptoms have been relieved through at least temporarily through these, um, fecal transplants. So I kind of, I found that amazing that it can have such a, um, a big impact. And I've definitely started to think about my microbiome and how to look after it. And we can talk about some things that, that anyone can do to nurture their microbiome. That, so that, I, think, that I found, sorry. 
Yeah, no, that is that is very, very interesting. Um, thank goodness you and I are talking when it's my early morning. So <laughs> yeah, I, I just I, had I lunch. Kathy, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, you wrote recently, um, or not too long ago, I should say, in, yeah. in The New Scientist about the negative impacts of stress on our collective health. Um, and in that same article, you, I, I think you argue that stress can play a positive role in our lives. So I'm really curious, you know, these days, obviously over the past couple of years, uh, you know, people have been dealing with various levels of stress um, as, you know, we've gone in and out of lockdowns and such. Mm. I'm curious, how, how does stress play a positive role in our lives? Yeah, I found this really, this was actually for me one of the really surprising things. So that article did come out of the book as well. And I mean, the pandemic for me has been hugely stressful. And I write in this article about how I've been, I didn't realize, but I've been clenching my teeth so much during the pandemic that four of my teeth have now broken and I'm having to have like all sorts of work done on my teeth as a result. But so, you know, stress, I'm not saying stress is, is good, but um, we, we have this conversation in the media and in society and in government about stress um, as kind of like a, a, a pandemic of stress. Um, we are um, more and more stressed um, and this does have negative effects on our health. So, um, I mean, stress has been linked to the, all of the main causes of death in the West, cancer, heart disease, uh, liver disease, accidents, um, suicide. So um, it, there's no doubt that stress can be very bad for us. It can weaken the immune system. Um, it can trigger inflammation, which is really bad for all sorts of things. Um, but um, what was uh, what I found really interesting is this research that that looks at um, something called stress mindset. Um, and your mindset is basically, you know, how you think about certain things, whether they're good or bad. It's an oversimplification. Um, and there's this growing science that mindset can impact all sorts of things. So people who think of um, aging as something very negative, for instance, they don't look after their health as much as they get older. They don't go to the doctor as much. Um, and so they have worse health. And they die sooner and have a kind of worse aging. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, similarly, people who, uh, there was a really cool study on people who work in, in hotels, like um, cleaning hotel rooms. So they're, they, they're very active in their job. The people who think about that work as exercise lose more weight um, and get more fit than people who don't think about that work as exercise. So mm. the power of the brain over the body is huge. And, um, and so, so this researcher started to look at whether the same was true for stress. And so she got people who work in an office and she taught them about stress mindset, the idea that, um, so one group of people were told that stress is bad for you. It's bad for your productivity. It's bad for your health. And another group were told that it can be really positive. It can help you. Um, and sure enough, the ones who adopted the, the positive stress mindset um, didn't see so many negative um, effects of stress. Um, and this has been uh, reproduced in other studies as well. So um people who think about stress as being um potentially a good thing they get more done 
they respond better to stress. Um, they respond better to feedback at work. Um, they feel more resilient. So for instance, Navy SEAL cadets, um, they go further and faster in their training exercises if they think stress is good um, and, and things like this. So, um, so the idea is that just thinking about stress differently can actually change the way that our bodies and our, and our brains respond to it. Um, and, um, it's, it's, it, I mean, it kind of sounds woo, right. But it's, but it is, it is grounded in science. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I sort of, I'm thinking back, uh, to how my son studies and, and the marks that he gets, I'm always concerned because he seems to do things last minute. Yeah. Um, which I never did as a student, but he continually comes home with great marks on his assignments. And I'm thinking maybe this is just the way that he deals with it. He needs to be under some sort of pressure. Well, that's a great example. Yeah, yeah, because stress fundamentally and at the heart of this stress mindset thing, stress evolved to help us. Right. I mean, the stress mm. response that your heart beats faster um, you know, your kind of your your blood gets diverted away from things that you don't need right now, like digestion to 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 elsewhere in your body. You're you're preparing to 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 run or to fight, and obviously, yeah. you know that's an evolved thing. And if we're faced with constant chronic stress and we're constantly ramped up like that, you can see why it's so bad for us. Um, but you can also forget that that can be super helpful. So if you have a deadline or presentation or a big decision to make in your life or whatever, wherever that stress is coming from, um, that physical response, it's going to give you focus and attention. It's going to give you, um, uh, hormones that are going to help you get the job done, you know, so it's there to help you overcome challenges. Um, and so it's really thinking about those things as a positive and just remembering that if we didn't have stress, we would never get anything done. I mean, I wouldn't be here talking to you today if I just kind of thought, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll just, you know, sack it off and go in a sunny day here today. I could just be sitting in the sunshine. But, you know. Yeah. Um, and then the, so these researchers, the other thing that they that they point out is that we only get stressed about stuff that we care about. So again, you know, I might be stressed about doing a, a meeting a deadline because I care about my job and I want to do a good job and that's a good thing. And the stress is helping me to achieve that. So, so that's all, but that's the kind of stuff that they teach people um, to give them the stress, positive stress mindset. And then, um, and, and, and you really can turn it to your advantage. That's so true. It's how we think about it. Um, yeah. Catherine but but I should say that's not to say that all stress is um is good and, and employers shouldn't be going and, and, and telling their workers to just like do more work because stress is good for you. But the point is that that having a positive stress mindset will help you get out of situations that are that are stressful and, and aren't, you know, um that you don't want to be in. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> um <laughs> Catherine, many people uh who listen to this podcast are in the business advertising media world. Um our lives uh, are constantly changing. Um, many of us, for example, are working from home um, or have some sort of, uh, you know, sometimes we're working from home, sometimes from the office, but it's not the same anymore. Our professional lives have changed. Sure. What advice would you give to these professionals to help them maintain a healthy brain 
with, with the with the outlook of you know peak performance in, in their careers? That's a great question. I mean, I, I just I, I feel quite passionately that there's so much you can do, and um, the, I think the pandemic is such a good example because um, it really showed me. You know, I've always been quite like a, a healthy person. I do I do exercise. I do you know on the whole trying to eat well and all of this stuff. But the pandemic, like you say, just threw everything out. All of our habits, all of our routines were out of the window, and suddenly. I found that I was like sitting all day and, you know, working from home is great in a lot of respects, but I wasn't not having that commute meant I wasn't getting outside in the morning and sometimes just sitting at my desk all day. Um, And these little habits that we build up can, can really be make or break. And so I think what I really want people to take from the book, which really applies to work life is that, um, we should be thinking long-term about our brain health um, in the same way as our physical health, I guess, but there's no quick fix. And so you need to do, you need to do things, you need to start now and you need to do things regularly, but also it shouldn't be a chore. A lot of the stuff that's good for your brain is also just fun. Um, Things like being social, uh, eating well, getting outside, spending time in nature, you know, exercising, find the things that you enjoy doing that are also good for you. And you don't need to do a huge amount. So there's definitely small things that can have a big impact. And I think if you're working from home and sitting in front of a screen, one of those things is to get outside into daylight because we, you know, you might think that your house is quite bright and you've got your lights on and it feels bright enough, but actually our homes are closer to dusk than they are to to daylight in terms of how many lux, um, the sort of measure of light in our homes. Um, And getting outside, especially in the morning, can just have a huge um, impact. So research has shown that if you um, get outside in the morning between the hours of eight and 12, um, those people fall asleep faster they sleep for longer and they have a better night's sleep at night um, than people who don't get outside. Um, It's also going to give you a massive um, boost to your energy and productivity. Um, Getting outside in the morning, getting that kind of blue morning light um, is equivalent to having a double espresso. So getting outside first thing and just that, you know, if you can get out in nature, even better. And I'll, I'll talk about it in, that in a minute. But um, for me, that question of just being outside in the bright daylight, um, because it has a profound effect on your body clock and that influences all sorts of other things. It influences your, your attention and so therefore your productivity and your sleep, which is just so vital for your mental and physical health. Um, and um, uh, so I would definitely advise to do that. And I mentioned going out in nature because this is something that has really changed for me since writing the book as well. But when you spend time um, in nature, I think we kind of intuitively feel like it's good for us and and kind of restorative. Um, But um, the research really backs this up. And if you are feeling like you um, your, your, your creativity is reduced from like sitting in front of a screen all day and um, go outside. And this, the idea is that when you're outside in nature, 
the way that things are moving, you know, like the leaves blowing or the kind of ducks swimming in the pond or whatever you're seeing, it's this soft focus attention. So it's, um, scientists call it bottom up rather than top down. So when you're concentrating, you're looking at your screen, it's, it's very top down. You're blocking out all of the other um, things around you. It's very demanding on your brain. You're really having to focus. And when you go outside into nature, your brain can be captivated by these very subtle movements and changes going around you. Um, and it really uh, restores your um, your attention, basically, and your ability to focus and your creativity. So I would say if you can get outside and spend a little bit of time outside in nature um, every day, then that could really impact on, on how you feel and how you, your productivity at work. Um, and maybe the last thing I would say is, um, is just the importance of social connections. And that's something that comes up all the time in, in brain research is that one of the best things for the human mind is to have social connections. We evolved as a social species. Um, and loneliness is really, really bad for, for us. Loneliness evolved again as a mechanism to keep us in groups, to keep us safe. Um, evolutionarily speaking, it's a good thing to feel bad when you're on your own because it's telling you to get back mm. into the into the group. Um, and it puts us in that state of, of high alert. Um, we evolved to feel um, like, uh, yeah, highly vigilant when we're on our own and it ramps up our inflammation again. Um, and in the long term, that can be really bad for us. So if you are spending a lot of time um, on your own, uh, working from home or, or, um, just kind of having these not so rich interactions, maybe over, uh, over work calls, then, um, it's really important to build those proper social connections and spend time with your friends and, um, and with other people. So I'd, I'd pick those three things. I mean, exercise is hugely, hugely amazing for the brain. Sleep is, is vital, but I think those are three things you can do quite quite easily. Thank you so much, Catherine, for sharing. This has been a, uh, this has been a very enlightening conversation. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for having me. Power your advertising. Working with Active International enables you to fund your advertising using your company's own products, assets, or even services. We have over 30 years experience connecting and bringing value to businesses all over the globe helping many brands scale up into household names. Want to achieve more from your marketing spend? Contact Active International today.